Hello, I am Emily Gorey, and this is Never Apply Alone. I'm here with Eric Allen, who's the co-founder of Admit Me and Admit Advantage. He knows a lot of stuff about the MBA admissions process, more specifically the timeline, and I'm going to pick his brain about it. Thanks for being here, Eric. Thank you. I'm also your boss, too. You're also my boss, so I hope I don't mess up. Yep. <laughs> so uh, candidates basically have a background mostly with undergrad when it comes to applying for things. Yeah. And with that, there's really just one deadline, um, sometimes early action, early decision. Uh, is MBA application timeline like that? Yeah, no. I mean, it's totally different. So I think it's totally different in a lot of ways. From a deadline perspective, there tend to be rounds, right? So the traditional way of looking at it is there are kind of three rounds, but really only two that you should apply to. Um, so most MBA programs have kind of a first round deadline around kind of the September, October timeframe and a second round deadline around the December, January timeframe and then a third, third round deadline around March. Um, now, fewer than 5% of the class normally is admitted uh, for the third round. So we, as at Admin Advantage, don't recommend applying. You can have a very strong application and not do well in the third round. So that, that much um, we do know. But um, there are some early action programs, Columbia, Duke, I think UVA has one. Um, but they tend to really be in that bucket. Some schools may have more rounds than just three, but generally they kind of follow the same kind of structure of kind of their main round being in that kind of September, October, that first round, and then they may have one in between first and second round, and then one in between second and third round. But um, generally, that's kind of how it works. That's, uh, that's pretty complicated. That's a lot to keep track of. I know that I've seen three rounds. I know I've seen two rounds. I know I've seen up to six rounds, and then sometimes it goes into rolling basis. But uh, we'll just stick with one through three. Yeah, you said that's that, easier. That's yeah, easier. it is easier. <laughs> we can't count that high. So you said that round three is really not a good idea at all for applicants. Is it ever a good idea? Is there ever like a reason that it yeah. would be a good idea? <clears throat> it could. I mean, it, it really needs to be an exceptional candidate with exceptional circumstances. So, you know, I went to Wharton and the, the people who got in round three, I had, I think, one Olympian um, who just finished like basically the Olympics. What medal? Um, what medal though? I don't remember the medal, but I know that he was very good. He was a long distance runner, so um, so that was cool. Um, and someone who just sold their company. So literally, they were like, "Hey, I wasn't thinking about business school. I just sold my company, um, and so I'm ready to go to business school." Right. So um, those are the kinds of things. It really shouldn't be anyone who has kind of a traditional job could have applied early, but maybe you know, just didn't get them, themselves together in time. Um, because it's not just about this year, right? Like in not getting in, it's also about the future. So if you don't get in, not because you don't have a good um, application, but because you're just in round three and it's just competitive. Yeah. Um, it puts you in a negative situation when you reapply. So, you know, you kind of have, you reapply and, and basically less than six months later, um, and so it's kind of like, well, what have you done differently from the last six months? So it puts you in a negative position. So we always say you want to apply as soon as you can, but only when you're ready mm -hmm. and not in round three, if that makes sense. That's kind of our, our general strategy. Like it doesn't matter so much round one, round two, but it does matter round three. Okay. So like you need enough time to prepare. Is there like a golden rule for how much time? 
you should have? I do not have a golden rule on that. Um, I will say though that most candidates, where they get tripped up is when they don't have a GMAT or GRE score. Okay. So they say, yeah, I'm ready to apply. I'm, I'm like, okay, great. Well, like, what's your, what's your test score? Yeah. Oh, well, uh, you know, I'm studying right now. Okay, well, that is kind of the big kind of challenge is because if you don't know what your test score is, it's hard to kind of begin to focus on the application process. And so what ends up happening is they kick the can, the can down the street and they kind of take the test. They don't do as well as they thought. No one that I've ever talked to has actually done better than what they've been doing in their practice test. So just keep that in mind. Um, but, but yeah, I'm testing in the 700s and they end up getting a 550 on their, on their first GMAT and then it takes them several iterations. So that's usually the number one cause of kind of deadline creep, if you will, of not having kind of your test out of the way. But normally kind of you know, a candidate can put together a quality application in, you know, two to four weeks if they're very diligent. Um, I would say generally it's going to be closer to a month for that first application. Okay. So what I'm hearing is like GMAT, GRE is the first thing you got to knock out and that has to be before application season? Yeah. I mean, in an ideal world, the first thing you should do is you should reach out to Admin Advantage and kind of get an idea of where you are in the process and, and kind of your candidacy overall. But after you do that, I definitely think, you know, getting the test score out of the way is really important because it allows you then to focus on what you should be focused on, which is what's the right school for me? What's the best fit? How do I position myself for success? Um, in an ideal world, if you're looking at saying, okay, I'm applying next year, how do I do this? Um, I would knock out the, the GMAT or GRE by kind of March, April mm -hmm. of the year you're applying. And then from April on, that gives you enough time to get the majority of your applications, if not all of them, in round one and any other schools that you're interested in for round two. And it also, for the schools that have rolling um, admissions like a Columbia you have the ability to get those in early as well. So it gives you the, the, the best chance for success. Okay, cool. So let's talk about round one and round two and kind of what the difference is, yeah. because if they're both good, how do you know which one's the right one for you? Yeah. So, you know, most admissions officers will tell you that, you know, there's, there's not a significant difference between round one and round two. Um, the difference being that, uh, well, a couple of nuances. So on the one side there, you know, there's a finite amount of fellowship money. Um, so when the fellowship money, unlike undergrad, they kind of look at the entire group at one time and then dole out the fellowship money, um, generally. Uh, in an MBA program, if they find a fellowship that's a good match and they offer that fellowship and that person accepts, then that fellowship money is gone. Mm -hmm. And so there's, first of all, a smaller basket of money and it's finite um, and, it, and it comes um, over time as candidates are accepted. So obviously the earlier the better mm -hmm. in terms of having an opportunity for uh, financing, um, scholarship and fellowship money. So that's the first thing. The second thing is for candidates who are a little bit unique, a unique background, maybe don't have a historical um, business background, being in round one can be an advantage more so than more of a kind of classic corporate investment banker consultant um, because there are only so many teachers that, that they're going to you know accept into the MBA class at any given school or yeah. artists or, or what have you and so if you have a unique background they want that they really do want that unique background and unique perspective 
um, for the school, but um, they're not. They're only going to take so many, right? So, so you could be competing against someone who just came a little bit earlier, who has a profile that looks similar to yours, um, and then it comes into question. Okay, well, how many of these kinds of candidates do we want in a class yeah. of say 200, 250 um, people? So, you know, getting in earlier is better in in the sense of it gives you an admissions edge. It also gives you another round where you could be considered in say the wait list. Mm-hmm. So if you go into round one and you get waitlisted, the way that it works is they take another look at you in round two. If you get waitlisted in round two, they may take another look at you, but you're more so a product of yield. So they put the offers out for round one and round two people. And if the yield is a little bit um, worse than what they were expecting, then they might pull more people off the waitlist. Whereas you can go on the waitlist in round one, you go back into the applicant pool in round two, and you're now competing against all of the round two people. So it's almost like two bites at the apple. So, you know, while um, admissions committees say that there's no real difference between round one and round two, there absolutely is a difference. But the most important thing for everyone to remember is you only apply when you're ready. Yeah. Don't rush the application just because you think it's better to be in round one. Yeah. Um, even though it is slightly better, it's much better to have a great application in round two right. than to have a mediocre application in round one. Okay, so with round two, I feel like I don't know, like being like if you're a try hard, not even a try hard, but like expectation wise, if you're waiting until round two, is it like looked down upon to be like? Is that like the procrastinators round? Is there any like no, stigma I mean, behind that? Not at all. I mean, round three would be. Um, <laughs> round two is actually where the majority of the of most applicants, the, the largest applicant pool within any given school usually is oh, round okay. two. Um, I don't know that most people know that, but but schools know. So yeah. essentially they are planning for round two to be the larger round. Mm. So they're not giving all the money away. They're not giving all the slots away. They know that round two um, is the largest round you know year over year they also know that that applicants are busy right um applicants are busy full-time jobs full-time jobs they have a lot going on business leaders all that kind of good stuff they know that that applicants don't have the time and have good intentions to start early but don't always get there so um if there's one takeaway from from this discussion it's don't worry if you're round two you're totally fine but you should worry a little bit if you're round three okay so you were saying earlier about non-traditional applicants should apply round one, like that really is in their favor, if ideally. But for um, like, if they do have a traditional background, is it is it like okay then more okay then for them to be round two? Is there a better chance for them? Yeah. So the reason why non-traditional applicants should apply round one is if you think about s- supply and demand, right? Mm-hmm. So generally through the application process schools know that they're going to get generally this many consultants this many bankers this many of this and this many of that type so you're really competing against other people like you and so when you know you're in a small basket of potential admissions meaning a non-traditional candidate might be a lawyer might be an artist might be a teacher might be a social worker whatever that physician if you know you're already in a small basket of likely accepted candidates, so you're competing against others like you who yeah. come in that non-traditional sense. So the earlier the better. Yeah. If I'm a banker coming in round one versus round two, does it make that much of a difference? Because the school is already kind of in their minds allocated a certain number of slots. Now, they yeah. don't actually say 
there's 50 banker slots in my class or there's 40 yeah. consultant slots. But in their head, they kind of know generally how they want the class to be filled. Okay. Um, so the reason why round one is is more advantageous for non-traditional is really just the supply and demand. So this is your first business lesson. Um, there's If there's a lot of demand in that given year, right, there's only mm -hmm. a, a finite supply of potential slots. Um, and so you want to be on the earlier side of that curve. For you know more traditional candidates, round one is still better, but it doesn't have the same impact in terms of admissions chances that um, that it would for someone who has a non-traditional background. Okay, so um, kind of pivoting. I'm assuming we're talking about United States schools, mm -hmm. but there's also a bunch of great global programs. Um, are is their timeline different than it is here? No, generally the the timeline is the same. I think. Um, you know, it, it can be uh, a little bit later um, mm -hmm. at times. Um, it also can be the applications can be a little bit later. So you have to kind of check, and it does depend by the region of the world. So you have to kind of check um, the particular region. The one thing I would say, though, there um, in U.S. schools, they tend to be more traditional. Um, application that I laid out in, earlier in the discussion, um, and the start date is usually in that August time frame. International programs, they have a lot of um, kind of full-time one-year programs, and they can start, you know, in September. Some of them start, you know, in January, and sometimes they run them year-round. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of know which program that you're looking for and know what kind of the traditional entry is versus kind of the non-traditional entry. So yeah. you might have a class that starts in a typical August-September time frame, that's maybe 150 students and maybe a class that starts in January, that's 50. So you, you kind of have to weigh that. But um, generally speaking, the timeline's the same. It may be a shifted back, okay. not forward usually, but usually a little bit back. You're talking about like European schools and, and some schools in Asia, et cetera. So um, it really depends on the schools you're looking at. So definitely pay attention to that. But I think the general structure is similar. Okay, so uh, let's keep with the international theme. Excellent. So Excellent. international candidates, they have a little more to consider. And um, have you worked with them? And if you have, what have you learned that they have to do differently? And what are some tips for them? Yeah, no, good question. So we work a lot with international candidates, mm -hmm. as you can imagine, um, at Admin Advantage. And I think, you know, for them, it's really understanding kind of what they want to get out of it and, you know, kind of what the outcome is, right? Because when you think about the MBA programs, it's about, like, matching up their kind of long-term alignment and interest with the programs themselves. From a timing perspective, though, um, it's really, really important for international applicants to get started as early as possible because there's a lot of things under consideration. First of all, for international applicants, round three, there usually is no financial aid opportunity mm -hmm. even for loans mm -hmm. in round three. So most schools will tell you that the cutoff for international students is generally round two, just so they can get them, A, once they get the decision in the, in the late winter, early spring, they need to kind of hustle to get the visas, they need to hustle to kind of find their, um, where they're going to live and all that kind of good stuff. So it's really, really important if you're an international student to try to get on the earlier side, not because of admission, but because it takes that long to get everything in place yeah. to be successful. So. We say an absolute cutoff of round two for international students, and we encourage international students to really seek to go round one whenever possible because of all the logistics that you have to do on the back end once you get in. Everyone thinks about the hardest part is actually you know, getting in, and it's 
probably one of the hardest parts, certainly, but for international students, actually, there's a there's kind of a sprint to the finish line of trying to get everything situated, international travel over to kind of find a place to live, visas, all that kind of stuff. Um, and sometimes there can be a snag along the way. So the earlier they can apply, the better for international students. Cool. Um, so I've seen, don't they have to submit like a different test score for English proficiency? Yeah, it depends. So um, if if you did not kind of go to an English-speaking university, then you have to do uh, either the TOEFL or the IELTS. Okay. Um, so you have an additional test in addition yeah, to the awesome. GMAT or GRE, Fun. which is super awesome. Um, so it's something that, that, you know, again, it kind of, speaking earlier to the GMAT, it's the same thing. We don't see as much of, we don't see candidates struggle as much with those tests as mm -hmm. we do with the GMAT GRE, but it is important and something to consider. So starting a little bit earlier in the application process and allowing them to kind of take care of those tests um, is ideal. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so then I wanted to talk about like consulting and getting help and reaching out. Yeah. When is the best time to do that? Um, like what's, is there like too proactive of a time? Yeah, yeah no, it's a good question. So um, I think it's really all about the personality of the candidate. Mm -hmm. So some candidates um, like to, to kind of say, you know what, I am going to, I'm going to take care of this this test, then I'm going to take care of my admissions, and, and, and so on and so forth. So they like to kind of put boundaries around their tasks. I think that is, is good, and if that's the way you think, that's great. But I think it is a good idea sometimes to come to us a little earlier in the process so you can get an overall understanding of where you stand as a candidate. Some of the things that we talk about when we get on the phone with candidates will be, you know, what kinds of things do you need to mitigate now to, to get ready? And maybe it'll take you six months to do that or a year to do that. Yeah. So common things that we might talk about is, hey, you don't have a quantitative background. Um, you should take some courses. Like, did, what was your major? Marketing. Marketing. Okay, so you've taken some business courses. But if your major was just, say, art, right, because you're a great designer, um, we may have said to you, hey, why don't you take you know, some econ courses, yeah. some finance courses, or what have you, and that takes time, right? And so um, that may be something we tell candidates to do. We may tell candidates, when I look at your profile, you have good work experience, but you don't do anything in the community, yeah. right? And so maybe we want you to get involved in the community. And so I think if you're thinking about an MBA, it's, it's never too early because we can always have a conversation and then have another one when you're actually ready to engage with us and work with us through the application process, but you'd much rather speak to us early and know what's in front of you and know kind of what you have to get on your test, what kinds of things you need to do to improve your profile um, and put you in a situation where you can really optimize your application during the application season. Awesome. So we were talking about that round two, round one are really um, the best times to apply. Round If you're at round three, it's really best to wait to next year. What are the advantages of waiting for next year? What can you fit in in that time? Yeah. Um, how can you like convince yourself that, yes, you should wait for next year because these are the advantages? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And it's we, we talk people off the ledge all the time. I mean, the, the one thing that is clear to us is that, first of all, it's not a very long time. Round threes oftentimes are you're applying in March um, and your applications oftentimes come out starting in May. Yeah. Right? So you're talking about two months, right? And, and you're also talking about, I, I try to give candidates the context of their career. Mm -hmm. You're going to be working for 50, 60 years. Um, I know it's tough to think about. Um, <laughs> but 50, 60 years, waiting a year 
to prepare to get into the best business school you can is not a long time. And frankly, unlike undergrad, where your parents, maybe not your parents, but my parents were kicking me out of the house. They were like, you will be going to school no matter what. Um, you don't have to go to business school right now. Yeah. You should go when you're ready. And so um, thinking about the context of it all is really important. And, and usually candidates are like, yeah, no, I totally get it. You're right. Um, I should just wait. The benefits of waiting are that it's going to put you in a, I, I'll actually talk about the negatives of rushing first. Yeah. The negatives of rushing are you put yourself in a bad situation from the admissions committee perspective because of that supply and demand curve, right? You already have all of these slots filled from round one and round two. So you have very little supply of actual empty slots and you have reasonable amount of demand there from not just round three candidates, but also remember we talked about those round two waitlist candidates. Yeah. So you're going up against the best of the earliest and you are going up against round threes, you're putting yourself at a huge disadvantage. Now let's say that you have a strong profile, strong enough to get admitted, um, but you just happen to be in that kind of supply and demand um, curve issue, right? So. If you get in, if you apply round three, you get denied, then when they look at your application the very next year, they're going to say, okay, well, what has changed? Right. Well, guess what? You may have actually gotten in the first time around if you had applied round one, but they're not going to be looking at it that way. The next year, they're going to say, what has changed? That's the first question that an admissions officer is going to ask is, what has changed from the last time? Because they can't say to themselves, well, we denied him last time. Well, we only did it because it was round three. He's in now. Yeah. Right, or she's in now. That's not the way they look at it. They look at it and say, well, we did not them last time, so why should we admit them this time? So then you're put in a situation where you likely have to wait uh, another full year and a half, actually, until you apply the year after next, um, where you can actually say, well, I did this, I improved this, I maybe got promoted, whatever, and you have a better case. So it actually puts you at a huge disadvantage. So I would say, you know, really kind of Resist the urge to rush the application in round three. And if you're going to apply in round th three, please reach out to us at Avid Advantage. Talk to us. Maybe you are in a situation where you're kind of a unique candidate, um, but most likely you're not, and we can talk you off a ledge. Awesome. Okay, so let's just uh, wrap it up with we'll talk about some, like, uh, next steps for you guys. We got... Uh, like Eric was talking about at Admit Advantage, you can do a free 15-minute consultation if you go on the website. Uh, another thing is keeping track of all those rounds can be really just a headache. And at Admit Me, we've compiled a list um, of 75 top global MBA deadlines and essays. And you spent a lot of time on that, so we got to plug that. That's pretty awesome. It looks great. Thank you so much. Please take advantage of it. It will make me very happy. <laughs> make Emily happy, please. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, both of the links to those will be in the show notes. Thanks for uh, talking to me, Eric. Thanks for having me, Emily. Yeah. Appreciate it. I'm not fired. You're not fired. Awesome. You're good. That was awesome. Admit me. Never apply alone.